first thing that you want out of a board member is not to be famous or brilliant, but to be present. Because mm -hmm. however much the board member may know or whatever good advice they might have, if they're not, if they don't have the bandwidth to talk to you, they're just not going to be mm -hmm. that valuable. Welcome to Array Podcast, the platform to discover hacks and skills you need at different stages of building your business. I'm your host, Shruti Gandhi, founder and managing partner of Array Ventures. Array Ventures invests in founders focused on solving problems, leveraging big data, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Visit us on array.vc. Support for today's podcast is brought to you by DLA Piper a global law firm strategically positioned to serve and support high-growth technology companies, venture capital, investors, and founders wherever they do business. DLA Piper's lawyers help entrepreneurs lead successful businesses through experienced, cost-efficient legal counsel from formation, financing, M&A to IPO. To learn more, please visit www.dlapiper.com. On today's show, we have a very special guest, Esther Dyson. Esther shares her pearls of wisdom on how to be a good board member, her recent health care and involvement in health initiatives. Finally, she tells us about her space training and why she wants to retire on Mars. Yes, you heard that right. It's funny, you called yourself not an, not an entrepreneur or the typical entrepreneur. Um, and opera fixer, but tell us what, what that means. And I, I want to know more about the, the journey of like, when you were working somewhere, most people think it's, you know, it's time to find a new job, but you said, I'm going to buy this out. So that's still entrepreneurial. Yeah, no, it's, it's risk taking and it's, but I guess to me, an entrepreneur, and it doesn't really matter what words you use, but there's a difference between someone who wants to start and run a company and someone who has a particular mission and uses the company as a vehicle for that mission. And right. I've always been more focused on the mission. So for me, the company was basically a mechanism to write the newsletter, which enabled me to ask people all kinds of impertinent questions and to run the conference, which enabled me to get all these people together and, and help create the ecosystem of the industry. So I started the way to Wellville, again, with a different mission. In this case, it was a nonprofit and hired a CEO because entities need CEOs. I've seen so many well-meaning people start things and then run them really badly because they mm -hmm. wanted to be CEO. But yeah. That wasn't what they're particularly good at. Yeah. And again, to me, the mission is much more important than the title or the vehicle. And so what is your mission? The mission is to show what happens when we invest in health rather than kind of do nothing, mm -hmm. like rent your health. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, when you lose your health, you, you don't have anything. You have no assets. You have no resilience. You have no capacity. Whereas if you invest in your health when you get cancer or... Mm -hmm. you get some disease, you have the resilience and the capacity to, to fight it more effectively. And you know, on a social, broad social basis, society is letting people get sick mm -hmm. and then faces both huge, like human agony, lack of productivity, sick people, and then huge medical expenses, yeah. just trying to get people yeah. halfway normal. And it's, it's a really bad business yeah. deal. 
we're we're not in a in a preventative health society, um, but you have been very good. I mean, I, you know, people can read about your regime, health regime online. Yeah. So what? How did you how did you start that? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm not standing there and say everybody should exercise 50 minutes yeah. a day, and it's like that's not realistic and. You know, I happen to be lucky and disciplined and so forth. I started swimming every day when I was in college at the age of 18 and just pretty much kept it up. But it's, it's, and it's less, I mean, clearly kids who are lucky enough to have healthy, mm -hmm. well-adjusted parents tend to have more discipline and so forth. But there's, there's a so much depends on what surrounds you, whether it's having parents who are, in fact, capable parents, the food environment you live in, whether you get early childhood education, the schools you go to, the, now the garbage you get advertised to to eat, that's all a much bigger influence than here, take a Fitbit and behave yourself. Right. So it's it's trying, what we're trying to do in the way to Wellville is basically change the conditions in five small communities and show the social health and financial impact of that over 10 years. What communities are these? So right north of here, Lake County, California. If okay. you own a vineyard in Napa, just keep going an hour further and you'll hit Lake County. Awesome. And if you do, we'd welcome you there. Awesome. Uh, Clatsop County, Oregon, which is just northwest of Portland. Muskegon, Michigan, which is on Lake Michigan across from Milwaukee and due west of Detroit. Uh, North Hartford, Connecticut, which okay. is kind of the worst part of Hartford, and Spartanburg, South Carolina. And how, and what do, what does one expect when you get there? Okay, so the thesis for all of them, the thesis for the ideas, these are small communities that are relatively self-contained. So if you, if you change the conditions in the community, you will see the results rather than having 20,000 people spread throughout a city of 2 million and then you have to measure them each one by mm -hmm. one and any impact you have gets dissipated. In these communities, things become self-reinforcing because there's such a density. Uh, so the goal is to help with, again, prenatal care, early childhood education, mm -hmm. focused on what happens long-term that will then have a sustained impact? And we, Wellville, are five people. We're not going in there and doing the work. We're, we had a call for applications. Mm -hmm. So this is all scientifically, but not clinical trial. It's, but it's thinking about the model and what, what makes sense. So they had to be small, self-contained, and have an existing entity of some kind that was cross was more than just one small group of people that were focused on the health of the community. They had to apply to us. We got in the summer, spring of 2014, to our immense surprise, 42 applications. Wow. So my CEO and I went and visited them that summer of 2014. We visited 10 of them, sorry. We picked the 10 that looked like the best prospects. and. Our goal was not to choose the best five, but to choose the best group of five. Mm -hmm. Just the way you choose a board of directors. Mm -hmm. you, you don't want five... Similar people. Yeah, yeah. you want a finance expert. Right. So in this case, we had 
our partner in Oregon is Care Oregon, the Medicaid outfit in Lake County. It's now the two health systems. In Muskegon, it's the Rotary Club mm. with a project called One in 21 in conjunction with public health. In North Hartford, it's an NGO called Community Solutions. And in Spartanburg, it's the Mary Black Foundation. So we got that kind of diversity, also geographic diversity within the communities, some ethnic and racial diversity. But they're all kind of godforsaken places with a disappearing middle class. Again, like so much of middle America. And what, what happens after that once they're in it? Um, so they, it's kind of like you come to a personal trainer and say, I've decided I want to get healthy. The personal trainer doesn't then take over your body and exercise for you. The personal trainer reminds you, oh, well, maybe you should sign up cool. for the gym and we're so, going to remind you to go at 5.30. Yeah. So in this case, it's, it's a slow process. We're trying to help them move from, we have a pilot to... We have a launch and a rollout. Mm. The, there are so many pilots and demonstration grants and short-term initiatives and marketing programs. But what is really needed is new institutions, people with a budget and accountability. I mean, in the end, you need people that are entrepreneurial, yeah. ironically, based on what I said, and, and willing to take risks. Yep. But you also need, I believe this model of you have a curriculum or a program from outside, often from a vendor. Maybe it's diabetes prevention or parenting journey to help parents become better parents. Then you train a whole lot of local people to mm -hmm. deliver it. So you, you create jobs and purpose in some people's lives. You also have an impact on the people who are then helped by the coaches, reminded, or whatever. So that that's kind of the the biggest business model that we think will work. Uh, we're still early. It's been basically yeah. a year, well, two years, still getting that capacity together. But there's a lot that's beginning. It's, it's kind of like a startup. There's yeah. a lot you do before you go out for your first big fundraise. Actually, yeah, I, I have this, uh, I have this idea about um, wanting to get reminders on my on my health and right. my diet um, certain times a day, not not hard coded, but based on my behavior using yeah. your, my accelerometer to know what I'm doing. So um, yeah, I think it's I'll, I'll tell you about that <laughs> later. But um, it seems like that something like that would be very relevant to what you're trying to do and help yes. the community with the reminders. Yeah, the reminders are important, but it's also the, the motivation. The motivation comes from other people yeah. or from, from being part of a group. And then those motivations are easier to follow. Those reminders yeah. are easier to follow. And we are moving towards a society where it's more towards self-motivated people, but the people that are not motivated are being left behind. So this seems yeah. like a really good initiative. Yeah. It, it's, there's a lot of actually demotivation in mm. in many people's lives, starting with they don't have money, mm -hmm. they can't get food, they can't afford medical care, they don't have a car, so they yeah, it's just all it's, these things yeah. interfere. Even if you're motivated, first you got to get through the basic barriers of yeah, 
I can't go to the Zumba class because I've got nobody or to take Or the Zumba class is not free. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. I, I, I mean, I know you shared something very personal um, to me. You know, you had a health scare. Oh, yeah. I would, you know. It's just not if, personal. Yeah. And, I mean, part of, so I had cancer of the esophagus last February. And like some of these things, it's not something I did. It's something that happened that to happened me. That happened to So it's, it's not personal in that sense. Uh, interestingly, my life was saved by, I trained as a cosmonaut in 2008 in, in Russia, spent six months there. And they gave me top to bottom medical inspection and found that I had Barrett's esophagus, which is a precursor to cancer of the esophagus. Wow, that was an early detection. Yes. Very early detection. So I've been having a gastroendoscopy every year faithfully since because if you do get cancer of the esophagus, usually it's not discovered until it's too late and it's it's a pretty horrible thing to have happen. So I was extremely lucky. Not so lucky that I didn't get to experience the healthcare system in its full glory with second opinions and the insurance company saying, well, these guys are at Memorial Sloan Kettering is out of network. So I'm a well-educated, white, well-connected person, and I know the right person to call at the insurance company. So they said, well, we'll make an exception, especially since Memorial Sloan Kettering was actually better treatment, and right. they simply wanted to remove the lump rather than remove my entire esophagus. Right. Uh, but so the insurance company called Memorial Sloan Kettering and got an 800 number, and Memorial called them back, and they got an 800 number. <laughs> Jeez, that's like normal yeah, people exactly. and their experience. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that was, it wasn't so much educational, but it was very confirming of everything I suspected. Anyway, April 29th, I went with my stepmother to Memorial Sloan Kettering. The anesthesia started, and the next three minutes were the three minutes I will always remember of Whatever happens, it's over. I've spent the last two months both dealing with this thing at one level and the other working like crazy, which was a blessing mm -hmm. because it again, gave me something to do because waiting for one hospital to call another is... That's... if yeah. some, Imagine that you have this experience. Yeah. What, In Muskegon? Yeah. You know, yeah. I am so blessed and so lucky. I was unpredictably lucky to have it detected, but then I was predictably lucky to get a good treatment once it was. And that's what's lacking for so many people. Have you used this experience, and by the way, thank you for sharing. Um, this, this, is, this makes you know, the listeners feel that you know, it's, it's not just them that's facing the, the struggle, it's everyone. Well, honestly, not really, because compared to what most people go through, it, it wasn't a struggle. It just required a little bit of diligence, but it was, I mean, again, that's a question of luck. Mm -hmm. And what I'm dealing with is, and unpredictable luck, and what, I'm, what we're dealing with is predictable bad luck for so many people. Right. And so in a sense, I mean, yeah, it was a very interesting intellectual experience to go through, but it hasn't really change my mind about much of anything that I'm dealing with or that our communities are dealing with. Have you, done, have you used your experiences to make different 
um, investments, meet different kind of entrepreneurs. Tell us more about that. Well, certainly Wellville is completely... <clears throat> so, I experienced conflict of interest, you know, when I got, when I bought the business from Ben. Mm -hmm. When I first went to Russia, I had a newsletter. Somebody said, gee, you should invest. And I said, well, I can't. I'm a journalist. And they said, suppose I give you a million dollars. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I stopped writing the newsletter and started investing. Uh, I have some existing, quote, population health investments like Omada Health mm -hmm. and Voxy the Well Pass and Proofpilot. And every time I bring them up because I think they are relevant, I have to put an asterisk after them. So I've ironically avoided investing in the companies that I think would be most useful to Wellville because I want to be able to bring them mm -hmm. in without, Got it. oh, she's just bringing in her own investments. Right. And, but it certainly informed how I think about healthcare and medical care overall. Got it. And it's, you know, it's, it's a judgment call. I'm right now at a little sort of incubator session of, of precisely the kinds of companies that could be helpful in Wellville, and I, I will not invest in them, but I certainly, I will invest in them in terms of introducing them to the right people, mm -hmm. and sometimes yeah. bringing them into a Wellville, or one of them based in Pittsburgh, bringing them into Scranton, I'll invest in them emotionally and with time, mm -hmm. but not with money, right. precisely because I don't want to deal with that issue. The conflict, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about... Um, conflict aside, how, what do you look for when you are looking for investing in companies? So I'm an angel investor, which means I don't need to apologize. I can make mistakes and learn from them. And you've made 100 investments? 100 plus investments. Yeah. And some of them have turned out very well. Some of them have been completely random. Like the thing that's funding Wood Wellville right now is Facebook stock that I bought through Kleiner. Perkins, I think. Maybe it was Mayfield. I don't even know. But you know, that was not a considered decision. That was someone else investing on my behalf. I made money. I was an investor in Perot Systems. And you know, again, I did I got that because I was on their advisory board. We had two meetings and then they got acquired. That's um, amazing. Yeah. On the other hand, I spent twenty-five years with Rosen Research, which became Adventure Holdings, and ended up being sold at a net profit to me of, you know, maybe a million dollars, which is nice, but it's... After it's all like, these years, yeah, right? you know, and so you need to, again, understand as an investor that your job is to be lucky, mm -hmm. and that's a real job. You need to go around and meet companies and, and not invest in too many bad ones, but... To, to think to yourself, gee, I'm so smart because I was lucky enough to invest in Evernote or, you know, that's not the way it worked. I was, I was lucky. And well, you're that, very humble to admit that. Well, I, I would admit it for other people as well. <laughs> it's not peculiar to me. Most yeah. people are, there's always a component of luck, whether it's simply being born yeah. diligent or right with the right friends or whatever. And then certainly there's having the capacity to take advantage of that luck. And if you're on a board, one hopes that you've actually contributed to the company's mm -hmm. success. But in terms of picking investments, 
I, I don't have a terrible record, and I think it's partly because I am willing to take those risks. And emotionally, when something flops, I don't think, oh my God, that was terrible. I shouldn't have made that. It's much more, well, that bad one was the cost of the education that also included this good one. Mm -hmm. it, and it is, because you, you need to make mistakes, and you also need to make enough guesses to have a few lucky guesses in mm -hmm. there. I mean, fundamentally, I don't invest in you know, cosmetics or fashion or beer or, you know, I'm kind of Calvinistic, and that's not a question of return. It's, yeah. It's a question of, but what it means is I invest in things that I think have purpose, and a lot of things that have purpose turn out not to make money, but <laughs> it's not a bad thing to have purpose versus somebody just wants to be CEO of something big and make a lot of money. They're, they're likely to... Right not be very steadfast and not, not stick it out through the tough periods. You know, you have invested in founders the second time, even if they failed the first time. What's your thinking? And that's, that's not unusual for many investors, but I want to know what, what your thinking is there. Well, there's a, a couple of things. One, you see how they fail. Yeah. It, in, in one case, actually, hmm. uh, so you mentioned Henry Copeland at Blogads, mm -hmm. and his first company, it wasn't an ignominious failure, but the model just didn't work. It was kind of helping newspapers to go online. And, but I really liked him, and I liked the vision, even though it didn't work out. So I, was, I ran into him somewhere, and I inquired how his new company, Blogads, was doing. And he said, well, you know, somehow made it clear that I owned a large chunk of it. So that was the case where he actually reinvested it ah, for me. That's that's, that's 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 I mean, doesn't that's, happen that that's, often. That's, that's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in other cases, there was a company where most companies, when they fail, they don't send you a polite little note and tell you what they learned and give yeah. you your cost basis so that you can do a tax write-off. <laughs> if you're lucky, you'll get some kind of notification from a lawyer. The ones where they have the class and the the commitment to their investors and just to whatever transparency to, to let you know that's that's already a pretty good sign. Mm -hmm. uh, can they get the people who worked for them the first time around to join them again? That's a good sign. And again, it's it's partly do they still have a mission, and now they've learned a better way to accomplish it. So. Evernote was, in fact, the second company, though the first one was not a failure of Stepan Kachikov. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a long, it's a long-term business. People forget that. Right. People are in. Um, found, I tell the founders, uh, you know, it's, it is maybe this is not the right thing for you at this time, or maybe it is, but don't forget that people. Everyone knows everyone. And people you serve, you know, well to um, come back yes. and and do good by you as well. And you and you will do the same to others. Um, yeah. So thanks for the second chance for people. I think that's that's pretty important. And sometimes not you don't get it. Yeah. And honestly, second time around, people, smart people, know more have made. A lot of mistakes, so those are the ones they will avoid. Yeah. Now, my motto is always make new mistakes. So. <laughs> always make new mistakes. Now, do you want to make all your mistakes, or do you 
learn from other oh, people. If you can learn from other people, that's obviously even better. Yeah, of course, but do you trust other people enough to learn from their mistakes? Some people, yes, and some yes. no. I mean, some people's mistakes are so obvious. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's not a huge learning problem. But, yeah, to the extent you can understand right. why people fail, and it's more than just personal lack of yeah. whatever, you can learn something. What's their model wrong? In so many cases, though, it's, it's simply implementation. Well, and personally, that's I where love, you go wrong. <laughs> I love new business models. My most interesting recent investment is a company called Civil Comments, which it's sort of, it's a big problem if you have a publication online yeah. or a, a brand. You, you want to have people commenting, but moderation is extremely expensive. And so this is, it's kind of like, there's a, a gate. Before you can comment on someone else's comment, you need to rate three other people's comments. Interesting. So that, I like that. Yeah, it's a way of yeah. generating the crowdsourced labor to moderate yeah. the comments. Also, someone who just wants to go online and say, well, that's stupid, you idiot, they're not going to be bothered to rate three comments. But if you have something worth saying, then that little barrier won't be that much of a barrier. And so for for news, media, and stuff like that, yeah. it's it's awesome. And then, with luck, we'll make most of the money on the brands. Yeah. Who have the same problem. They don't want to censor. Right. But at the same time, they they want genuine involvement. And This is great, because yeah. most people are not filtering themselves, because they can yes. quickly type in FEND. Right. Um, and it's sort of like counting to 10. Right. The, the newsletter business, right? Yeah. A lot of... A lot of people are trying to do that now, yes, and it's, it's easier now, and conferences, and well, what is your thoughts on that? So it's not easier. Um, it's always hard to generate really good content. Right. The, yeah, the capacity to reach people in real time, Yes. It's that's much easier, but yes. you also have a lot more competition. Yes, there is so a lot the of competition. Is I meant the creation is easier these days. Maybe yeah. it's not as good, and the good well, stands out, but I meant... The, the, the medium the, to reach. The logistics, it's, exactly. it's much easier. Yes. But it, it is also harder to get people's attention. Yes. So when, when I was starting out and took over from Den Rosen, it was a much smaller community. Yes. So it was, it was much easier to be at the center of it. Uh, you know, now you have, on the one end, Rico Gray and Jessica Lesson, Stratechery, uh, I think I'm pronouncing it I'm correctly. not sure which one that is. Yeah. It's, it's a very, in a sense, it, it may be closest to what I used to. It's sort of analytical. It's not the daily news. What is the media? How does AI? We need that. What's machine learning yeah. versus pattern recognition? How are things evolving? What, what's the social impact of anything from Facebook to? So, that, so then what do you think? Like, it, it's harder to get attention. It's easier to create. But is that still a viable business model for companies or is that still a viable way to create a brand yeah. for people personally? That's, so that's a really interesting... And I ask out of selfishness because yeah. I have a okay. newsletter and yeah. brand and the, the kind of things that we're talking about here just to yeah. promote Array, me generally, right? Yeah. So what, you know, it what gets, is your advice here? Well, it gets harder and harder. The, the great thing about our conference was we had no sponsors. Mm -hmm. We charged... A lot of money. Okay. Less than people are charging now. Yeah. But you know, for those days, 
and it made money not net net. Yeah. yeah we sold it for two million. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. But it, it supported me and our CEO and three other people very nicely and mm. again was the basis of my education for twenty five. It's much harder now because there's just much more noise out there. Yeah. Code has now got a new owner after splitting yes. off from the Wall Street Journal. Yes. Jessica is charging a lot, and yeah. it's still to be seen how, how yeah. well that experiment works. Mm -hmm. There is a, I mean, put it this way, I'd much rather have a business newsletter mm -hmm. than something like Politico and try and make money off it. Right. You know, without without right. ads. So, because valuable business information that will help guide market-oriented right. decisions, people will pay for mm -hmm. it. And so you can make some money selling political stuff to lobbyists and so forth, but that tends to be more real-time information rather than mm -hmm. social commentary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really hard. I think, I mean, for, for real media, I think the fundamental business model is going to be philanthropy. And for for things like brand promotion, then one way or another, the brand is the sponsor, even though it may not be an advertiser. It's Somebody has a business purpose, whether it's to get better deal right. flow or to you know, sell your products. Or yeah, I consider that like a giveaway. I'm giving yeah. away knowledge yeah. in return and hope for people coming right. to me with good companies. Yes. Yeah, right. And so that works. There's, but there's a there's a sponsor rather than charging the full value of the sure. content to the recipients. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so I I was there in a very lucky. Yeah. period where I remember though when, when we started so Ben had come out of Wall Street and their business model was read my newsletter and then trade through me or, or yeah there's still take that your company yeah. public through me so we did not even have a subscription form oh, on wow. the newsletter and <laughs> I remember putting one on the back of the newsletter and Ben thought it was really tacky oh <laughs> <laughs> That's you were an innovator. <laughs> yeah, well, we were a business sleaze artist, whatever. It was, it was funny. I mean, the the notion of what's yeah what's pure and what's yes. sleazy it's really changed. has changed. Yeah, it's really changed. How do you how do you become a good board member, Esther? I, I you are on a lot of awesome company boards. A few. Media. Yeah, Say, saying a lot actually is one of the bad signs. Of Sorry, I meant I meant more I than meant one. A legitimate number. The first thing that you want out of a board member is not to be famous or brilliant, but to be present. Because mm -hmm. however much the board member may know or whatever good advice they might have, if they're not, if they don't have the bandwidth to talk to you, they're just not going to be mm -hmm. that valuable. Uh, so much better to get somebody who's good and unknown than the star that just lists you on a list of their prestigious affiliations. Mm -hmm. Second is, they need, again, they need to share the mission, whatever your mission is. Mm. Good, good two points. Um, share the mission, be present. That's, that's awesome. So, but how, once you're there, yeah. um, how, how are you and how, what have you done to be a better board member after you're there right. um, so than the other person in the room? Yeah, it really varies from, and it depends a lot on the size of the company. With smaller companies and 
whether you're on the board or not. I've rewritten press releases. <laughs> I've you're really hands-on. Yeah, yeah. But certainly having a good sense of this is the person you need to talk to. Yeah. Here's someone whose advice not only is good advice but is relevant to you because there's a lot of good advice that's kind of meaningless, like don't give up too early. Uh, it's really good advice, and so is cut your losses. Yeah. But knowing when to apply which one. But when you're in it, it's hard to know. Yeah, yeah. right. And so board members need good pattern recognition, and then mm. they need to know what worked. They need to recognize the pattern and know what worked. So a good board member is engaged, gives advice. It's it's partly a two-way street. I'm a better board member when you have more information. The CEO. Yeah, yeah, and they ask you. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, I tend to be somewhat reactive, so I'm I'm a better board member for the companies that reach out. Uh, interesting. Well, that's a hard one for a lot of founders. They never know when to reach out. Yeah, or am I bothering yes. this board member? And it's you need candor on both sides. Hey. I can help you, but I can't talk to you an hour every Monday. Yes. <laughs> or, you know, at some stage you might. Yes. You're going through some Acquisition, crisis. whatever it is, yeah. So sometimes I feel like my life is like the comics page of an old-fashioned newspaper. You have these strips, and some some weeks one strip is like there's something going on every day, <laughs> and the others are kind of small. But there's all these things going on simultaneously in it. A really tough week is when three companies are having all need you at the same time. Yep. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's you know different board members. Some board members are really good on you know, structuring financing yeah. transactions, and that's not my forte at yeah. all. So again, you want you want a diversity. Kind, yeah, and board, the yeah. kind of board member as well as the kind of CEO you need changes over time, and some people can last through two or three of these transitions because they're adaptable or have lots of different skills and some people really fit a certain time and don't fit the next one. Uh, thank you. I, I, this is going to be pretty valuable because I think many people are trying to be board members but oftentimes um, I don't know founders really have a feedback on like I don't know if this was valuable maybe yeah. early days or whenever they needed the feedback whatever but I don't know if they're consistently valuable yeah. over time yeah I mean being a board member is just like being a CEO mm -hmm. it's it's not a privilege or an honor it's a job it's a job um I can't let you off this podcast without asking you about um your space that your space journey uh, the other day I had a dream that I was headed to the ISS. Oh, cool. <laughs> I know, but I am sure it was nothing, <laughs> close to nothing as what your experience was um, in real life. I want to hear all about that. Okay, well, <laughs> the purpose of the training is exactly to train you so well that when you finally do go to the ISS, everything seems familiar. Mm -hmm. So you know what to do. And you, and you trained for six months. Yes. Yeah. In a place called Star City, which is outside of Moscow. So in essence, you learn two things. One was space plumbing. Mm -hmm. How do all these things work? How do you change the toilet filter? How do you use... 
Wow. There's this thing that would warm the food that was kind of like a toaster with six slots, but one slot had stopped working. So rather than fix the slot, they changed the documentation. <laughs> Do not use slot two. Uh, you had to know where all the electrical outlets were. And being an American, I this said, is just what? like interstellar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why why don't you just paint them all red? Oh no no, we you need to know where each of them is, and <clears throat> so you train on the communication yeah. system. You, you train alone, or are you training with other people? So you train with your. So there's a crew of three. This is for the Soyuz going up to the space station, yeah. and then on the space station there there were actually people right. that you would join, and others would come down. So they were kind of switchovers. Yeah. So. In essence, there was a unit of six. There was the Russian commander, the Russian flight engineer, uh, and then, in this case, there was the American space tourist, who was Charles Simone, who wrote Microsoft Word, for, which is how he had the $40 million it costs. Uh, and then there was the backup crew of another Russian commander, the flight engineer. Actually, I'm sorry. It was Jeff Williams. It was Russian commander, American uh, flight engineer, mm -hmm. and then Charles. And then the backup crew was Maxim Sarayev and geez, somebody. And I'm getting this all mixed up. But anyway, there were three backup people. Yeah. And so... The others all had gone through the formal training, including Charles, yeah. because this was his second flight. So some of the classes, especially that the the equipment and so forth, were one by one. But we all did flight simulations with the crews. Mm -hmm. Some things were kind of real-time, like we had one session where, after I'd learned all this stuff about space plumbing and the other guys already knew it, then some people came over from some of the equipment suppliers and they said, okay... You've learned about how everything should work. Now we're going to tell you what's actually going on up there, and this filter needs replacing. <laughs> yeah. Why just, you're going up there? Yeah, yeah. Just kind of gave us an update on yeah. the state of things. And anyway, there was and then there was another. There was an exercise where three of us, but this was me and two other Russians, not the ones in my crew. We had to do the overnight. Well, it was actually two nights in the winter snow, simulating an emergency landing in wow. the Siberian tundra. Wow. <laughs> and that was fun. We had to build our own tent out of parachute silk, cut down the trees. Amazing. Which, fortunately, these Russian guys were real gents, and they chopped the trees, and I just had to pick up some twigs. <laughs> we covered those with more parachute silk and filled ourselves with fire. And Anyway, that was a lot of fun. That sounds so every once in a while I get to some hotel or other <laughs> and I think, Thank God for indoor plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> really? But then how was it? Was it like taking an airplane? No, no, it's and I, 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 I know, I'm just thinking like for most people we've yeah. never well, been it's like being in an airplane but lying on your back mm -hmm. and accelerating really, really fast. And does something happen? Do you well, feel... Oh, yeah. I mean, you feel gravity. We went in the centrifuge and got up to 8G. That was fun. But, I mean, the actual experience of going up... Yeah. It's it's very slow. You know, everything takes... You have to get into your suit. You So it's a few hours, and then you just go sit 
on the launch pad, kind of lying on your back, and then you know, countdown, and then rumbles, and <laughs> and then you're landing not on Earth. Well, that you land two days later because you circle around yes. for a few times. Wow. So this was not part of the space training, but I'm also on the board of a company called Xcore, and we probably the best simulator in the world hmm. is something called Desdemona that's actually run by a research institute owned by the Dutch government. Hmm. And it's a combination of a centrifuge and a, a little chamber that's got you know, virtual reality in it. And so as the centrifuge moves, they turn you around. So you almost feel weightless, though you're really not. It's sort of <laughs> the opposite. But you, you really get that, that experience of taking off. And that's when you're not weightless because you're actually accelerating, so mm. you, you feel the force back. Yeah. But when you stop accelerating, you feel weightless even though you're not. And they, it's just, it's a combination of trick, tricking the vestibular system and using the virtual reality and actually moving you around. I mean, if you actually were looking at a real window, you'd, you'd get sick. But Wow. That was an amazing simulation of what the experience is like. So, are you looking at companies in that well, in that space uh, to yeah, like I mean, solve any of these problems? The biggest problems are probably some involved with a sort of startup camp called Wayfair. The biggest problems are things like radiation resistance and the circle economy that are both problems on Earth and in space. Yeah, you know, if, if you're going to live on Mars. You can't just keep shipping food from the Earth. Mm -hmm. If you're going to get to Mars, you need to deal with the impact of radiation while you're in the spacecraft. Because if you just make everything out of lead, it's you know you can't get it up off out of the Earth's gravity. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a lot of these more bigger science -y problems. I'm also an investor in a company called Nanorax, which is yeah. kind of like a space capacity retailer. Yeah. As I mentioned, I'm on the board of Xcore. Yeah. I'm doing that, but so Woody Wellville is 100% of my time. Yes. And this all is these fun. other things are 50%. Okay. So. You have more than one passion. <laughs> yes. But the space thing, I would like to retire on Mars. It's yes. It's not something I'm working towards very specifically right now. Well, why but, is that? Tell me more. Well, so, I mean, a whole bunch of reasons. One, I'd really like to go. Yes. Two, when I say that, there's an implied assumption that by the time, that it will take me a long time to get to retirement, mm. which means I'll live long and healthy. Mm -hmm. And that by the time I get to Mars, someone else will have been there and will have cleaned the place up so that a little old lady can live there. <laughs> and then finally, semi-seriously, one-third of world gravity is actually really great for old people because gravity so pulls you down yeah and yeah. you know all, a lot of old people are stooped over and yes in one-third earth gravity it's probably a lot better to be 98 but do you think the planet itself is ready to so support no, it us? needs it needs and it needs that it needs yeah. it needs most likely a lot of synthetic biology and, and plant science and you know some yeah. more around recycling and nutrition but but if we can learn how to terraform Mars, then maybe we can also do a better job of terraforming Earth. Yes. Interesting. I like how you're thinking. Would you be there alone? 
Oh, no. Would you want to? Okay. No. God, that would be terribly lonely. Yeah, well, and they wouldn't do it all for me. Yeah. No. Yeah. Start, so you are expecting an yeah, infrastructure. start with Elon Musk. <laughs> nice. You love good company. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, wow. So the the once you got there two days later. Yeah. What was it like? And how many days did you spend there, at the space station? Oh, oh no, I didn't go. I okay. trained. I trained. Okay. Sorry. No, very. I was just backup crew. Okay. I didn't have the forty million. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. The. But I know what it's like. That was what the training was. Okay. About. The first day or two, you're mostly pretty nauseous, and you know, you, there's sleeping issues. Everything. Your your head gets puffy because your your blood is no longer mm. held in your legs. I mean, you have lots and lots of muscles and, and arrangements in your legs that keep pushing the blood back up you mm. to your head. That's, and when yeah. gravity is no longer keeping... Wow, so there's a lot more things going up there? Yeah, well, your, ah. your blood rushes up your... It's the best solution for wrinkles. <laughs> okay, take space training. Yes. <laughs> that I can uh, see how young you look. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it only lasts when you're in zero. Oh, no! Sorry. But... So a lot of a lot of interesting physiological things go on. You you spent two days, you know, like peeing into diapers and you know, yeah. dealing with that sort of wow. stuff. Wow, things you're you finally, don't think about. No, and you're fine. Well, so up on station, it's kind of there's always like things going clank clank and electrical things turning on and off because mm. you you need a steady supply of air circulating yeah. and. It's a bit cold and damp, and if you happen to lose something, you can always find it at the air intake exchange. Mm -hmm. Everything that's not tied down eventually just kind of slowly floats, floats to away. Wow. where there's a little vacuum sucking it into the air circulation system. So Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that You don't want that. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but it's just, the, those are kind of the, yeah. the realities of it. Yeah. And, the, the food is all kind of preserved, and you yeah. can't just drink a cup of coffee. You need to suck on a straw out of you know, a container, and that's so yeah. It's you know if you have if you want to, it's the most amazing, wonderful thing. If you don't, it's like it's pretty unpleasant. Yeah, it's like and backpacking. Yeah, and. <laughs> Yeah, clearly I want to, and, and so did Charles yeah. and all these other people, and yeah. it's, it's amazing, and the views are extraordinary, but it also helps to be prepared. Yeah. So that's what the space training does, and it, you learn about oxygen consumption and just all kinds of practical things, including... You learn about science and yeah. human yeah, no, body, it's, it's really and it's, yeah. yeah. So when are you going next? <laughs> um, well, after Way to Wellville, then... You know, then we'll see. It's either going to be the education system or who knows, maybe it will be space. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Esther. This has been lovely and insightful, I should say, more than anything. And I know the listeners are going to be really excited to hear about your awesome little stories about space, about health. And uh, thanks again for making this happen. Thank you. It was a real pleasure.